Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In November of 2021, LA Opera and Cal Performances are co-presenting The English Concert on tour with Handel's Alcina. In this podcast, Jeremy Geffen of Cal Performances leads conductor Harry Pickett in conversation about Handel's masterpiece. Hello, everyone. I'm Jeremy Geffen, Executive and Artistic Director of Cal Performances, and it is my huge pleasure to have with me today the Artistic Director of the English Concert, Harry Bickett. Welcome, Harry. Thank you. Nice to be here. Um, we've been aiming to get this project with the, the English Concert off the ground for, for a couple of seasons now, but um, the goal is to bring one Handel opera or oratorio in concert every season. And we're starting, we're starting really at the top um, with, uh, I, I, when I was listening uh, over the past couple of days to Alcina, I, I found one disc of highlights and I, I shook my head and I thought, how can you even create a highlights disc from, from Alcina? Because everything is a highlight. It, it's, it's one, show-stopping aria, um, orchestral piece or ensemble after another. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit crazy because, I mean, Handel normally is quite clever the way he, he rations the really good arias, you know, so you, because not, not just because, you know, he'd like to spread them over a lot of his different operas, um, but also because, as you say, it's kind of exhausting as an audience sometimes that, that you just, you long for a slightly mediocre aria. Just to kind of just like a just like a sorbet, you know, after after a, after a big heavy um, entree, uh, and I'm not to say that the Alcina is heavy, but I mean certainly the second act for me always just it's exhausting because I mean number after number after number just gets more and more beautiful and more and more intense and more and more deep, and yeah, it, it's it it's kind of like it it, it is it, it's a really head spinning experience both listening to it and and performing it. And you, you're bringing an incredible cast of, uh, of wonderful voices from around the world. Um, uh, although I think so, at least a couple of the principals are from the North American continent. Um, uh, Karina Galvan is... Uh, That's correct. Quas? Canadian, I think. It, yes, I don't know where, I mean, I don't know where she lives now, but, um, and then Alex Schrader, of course, is, uh, is uh, you know, from the US and... Um, Elizabeth Deschong, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so thank you for for keeping it truly global and international. Um, and I, I wanted to um, to talk a little bit about this piece and the model under which it was created, because I think it's a very different model um, than we're accustomed to encountering with composers of today. Um, in Handel's time, uh, the composer took the risk. Um, he, he, he was an impresario. Absolutely. And um, this was the first uh, opera Handel wrote for the, the Royal Academy. And uh, it was a, a, new, a new venture, a new business, a startup, if you like. And as you say, you know, we're looking, you're looking at someone who's taking all the risk. Um, he had some backers, but I mean, it was, it was really on him. And of course, he was 
quite well established by this point. So it wasn't like he was an unknown person doing a startup. It's like somebody really well known and successful suddenly going having a new venture, you know, which of course is, you know, one normally thinks is going to end in absolute disaster. It's, it's very dangerous when you're that well known to, to suddenly try something completely new. Um, and he wrote these three pieces, I mean, all, all based on the, the uh, Ariosto, Orlando Furioso. So, you know, Orlando, of course, uh, Alcina and also Ariadante. I mean, three absolutely stunning pieces. So, I mean, he, he really nailed it, um, he, he, despite, despite the risk he was taking. The first run of this was uh, a, a runaway hit. Um, I, I, there were 18 performances of it, which- It's uh, huge in those yeah. days, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's sort of the equivalent of, uh, of getting extended on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, he, it was, it's one of the, the so-called magic operas um, because the theater he was performing in had lots of, um, sort of newfangled stage effects. So it had, um, it had a, a sort of two-way mirror effect that, that, that could be used to disguise people. So, so Alcina can, 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 can pretend to be someone else quite literally on stage through a, a sort of one-way mirror, depending on where you put the candles as to whether you could see the front of the mirror or the back of the mirror. So it was, this was, which was an incredibly simple effect, but, but, but thrilled audiences. Uh, it had uh, live birds that could be released at any given moment. So you, you have sort of bird song, not necessarily in this piece so much, but um, yeah. And it was this, this well-known piece. I mean, the Ariosto was a very well-known piece and the audience would have known these stories. So it wasn't like, what's, well, what's Orlando about or what's Alcina about? I mean, people knew these stories. And of course, the fantastical part of Alcina is that she not only takes all these lovers, but when she's fed up with them, she turns them into wild beasts or she turns them into rocks or all sorts of things, which, you know, is, it, you know, it, it's quite modern, actually. Now you can imagine, you know, sort of, you know, Lord of the Rings or, or one of the, you know, these, one of these magical stories, which still fascinate us so much. And uh, in the 18th century, just as much. What what really uh, fascinates me about this is that because he was writing with a, a commercial venture in mind, which actually he 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 was doing for for most of his career, um, he um, he always kept the uh, the public for whom he was writing in mind, not just in terms of the story, but uh, but in terms of this, the the performers he would invite into his productions and. Um, I think we've all become familiar with the name Farinelli, but this op uh, this opera was actually written for one of uh, Farinelli's um, uh, rivals uh, in the role of Ruggiero, I, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was. Um, I mean, he was very loyal to his singers that 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 had given him previous successes, um, and it wasn't just a sort of blind loyalty. I mean, I think it was because he. He was very interested in the voice. Um, it, it's fascinating to me how brilliantly he writes, not just the, the voice, but for a particular voice. And we know this because when he had revivals of pieces which perhaps needed a bit of tweaking or had a cast change two years later, he would 
either rewrite a complete aria for a new singer who couldn't sing what the other the other the other aria wasn't suited for, or he just tweak it. I mean, he tweaks some of the coloratura, some of the the melismas, the, the very very fast writing. Some people find it easier to, to jump around in, in coloratura. Other people find it easier to sing notes adjacent to each other. And he, he quite clearly knew he found another singer and said, oh, well, I'll just rewrite that little bit over the same bass line. We'll just write it so that it, it suits you better. So he had a real understanding. And I always say to singers who bring uh, Handel arias to me, and I say, if, this, if you find an aria that really suits your voice and you feel like this is actually tailor-made for me, just look up who he wrote it for yeah. and then Google all the, all the roles he wrote for that singer. And I swear all those other arias or those roles will be brilliant for you because that's, that's what he did. He just, he just knew how to write the music for the right singer. Huh. Um, fascinating bit of advice and a, a very practical one as well. Um, I, I'm assuming that the, the title um, character in, in this opera, Al Alcina, the, um, one of the sorceresses, but the, the definitely- The older sister. In yeah, the, the one in charge. Um, yeah. uh, fascinatingly, for such a, a character, has uh, really only has one dynamic, fast, uh, faster aria. Um, that the, the, um, the, her her pieces are really uh, uh, love songs um, and uh, and actually and expressions of love lost. Um, which which, uh, which humanizes her, but I, as, as hearing you talk about um, uh, the singers for whom he had, had written this opera, maybe, perhaps that was a particular strength of, of the singer. Who Absolutely, or perhaps the weakness was that the, the singer didn't have good enough coloratura. But either way, no, you're right. But you know, Alcina is somebody who you know at the beginning of the opera is someone completely in charge. You know, I mean, she's she she runs the island. No one, no one who arrives ever escapes. Um, everybody she seduces falls completely for her because she's completely head-spinningly uh, attractive. I mean, not 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 necessarily physically attractive, but just she weaves she weaves her magic, uh, literally and metaphorically. And the piece you see her throughout the piece basically disintegrating. Um, uh, because Ruggiero eventually decides he wants to escape. You know, he 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 isn't completely. I mean, he's rescued basically in a, in every sense. Um, and I've always loved this piece because it's you know, of course, Handel's writing about this fairy tale or this 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 chivalrous tale. And but actually, it's so human. And to me, it's like the whole piece is really like sort of like the disintegration of a relationship that. Ruggiero at the beginning is absolutely besotted with her. I mean, he, you know, this is this is this is the one for him. He's 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 completely in love, even though he kind of knows that it's not real. And again, Handel plays with the ideas of reality. What actually is real? What is real and what isn't? And, and in a relationship, what is really real? Do you love that person for what they seem to be, the magic, if you like, the magic of what it is, or do you love them for who they really are? And it's very hard to know sometimes because when you're that in love, your mind does crazy stuff and you convince yourself that this is, this is real. And again, he plays with this and bit by bit, um, Bradamante, who's, who's um, engaged to, to Ruggiero, sort of comes to the island to try and rescue him. And bit by bit, she just sort of hangs on in there. He keeps on rejecting and rejecting her. And bit by bit, he, he, he gets to realize that actually Alcina is gonna 
turn him into some lion or unicorn or something, just like she has done all the previous lovers who felt exactly the same way. And in fact, Bradamante is the one that is real mm. and loyal and loving. Your, your earlier comment about the two-way mirror um, it, uh, at, at the theater, which would have been in, in Covent Garden, but not... Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. But not the theater that we think of as the world. No, 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 that was much later. Yeah, yeah. Um, th that explains a lot of the plot, which you know, many, uh, many Baroque operas um, and actually even classical operas have these, uh, these cases of mistaken identity or uh, somehow um, so someone who, who knows another person very well just can't it can't seem to um, recognize them for two thirds of the opera. Um, and, <laughs> and, and this, this does to, to modern audiences can seem a bit, a bit silly, but if there was this piece of technology that in, enabled that, um, I, I can imagine that it was really important that it be included. But also I think that the uh, audiences in the 18th century had a different expectation. I, mean, I think they, frankly, I think they use their imaginations a lot more than modern audiences do. Mm. I think that, you know, there, there was no front curtain mm. as such. So all scene changes happened in full sight of, of the audience. And, 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 and people, if you have to remember, people didn't wear costumes. I mean, people, people wore their own, they wore contemporary dress, 18th century contemporary dress. So when you do Julius Caesar, they weren't wearing togas mm -hmm. to, 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 to perform that piece. Um, it's quite a modern idea, this thing that we actually dress up in this, in this way. I mean, and you, these people were stars. So you, the, the star walked on and sang and they weren't, they weren't gonna say, but it's Farinelli. It's like, no, it, it's, you know, everything was done. All the acting was done through the voice and through, you know, movement. And yes, so these, these effects were the beginning of the idea of stagecraft. But the, the, the most brilliant stagecraft is that which is just incredibly simple. It doesn't require laser beams or projections or anything like that, which is what we want now. We want to see it absolutely real and you know, in real time. But back then, and people were, people were far more acceptance of, 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 of understanding. Also, you have to remember they had a book, they had a libretto. They, so they, when you bought, went to the theater, you, you got a book. It was called the book of the piece. And quite often it included a lot of stuff which explained what was going on, stage directions. Uh, and also sometimes if, if, if it was a libretto, a pre-existing libretto, which often it was, um, it, would include, it would include words which had not been set by Handel. So you could also go home at the, uh, at the end of the evening and, and read the whole story rather than just the bits that Handel had set to music. Absolutely fascinating, and uh, uh, something else that I um, I was struck by was that in in revivals of this work, as as you've said, diff different um, he would uh, revise roles for um, for a new singer that was coming into a, a production. Um, the the role of uh, Morgana, which in in the version that that you're performing is sort of as a high coloratura um was taken on by a, a mezzo what we'd call a mezzo soprano now in in the revival which is almost unthinkable um because of what we think of this character um uh, as today because we we have a fixed idea of what voice type um should be singing each particular role 
Yes, I mean it's like it's like hearing you know, but who may abide for the Messiah sung by a bass, yeah. which he wrote for a bass. I mean there is a there is a version that he wrote for the bass, but I mean you know we I mean you, you, there'd be a riot if you did that now. I think. <laughs> um, so there's a, a fluidity, um, and actually, I guess it brings up the question as to what version of a, of um, uh, one of his operas or oratorios do you perform if there if there are constant there a significant number of changes that are made for particular singers or, or audiences? Yeah, I mean, the good thing about Alcino is that actually, as you say, it was such a success that. He didn't make nearly as many changes as he did in, in a, 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 compared to a piece like Ronaldo, which he rewrote a couple of times. And um, yeah, I mean the really the really great ones, he he kind of he would he would he would cut a little bit. I mean he'd cut an aria out. Sometimes the arias were only in there because a particular singer insisted that he if he wanted if Handel wanted him or her in the cast, he would need to have um, at least two arias. Or the same number of arias as someone else in the cast. You know, there's a lot of sort of rivalry that used to go on. So, so often he just wrote this stuff because he, he was just trying to placate a singer. It wasn't necessarily, a, a, you know, an artistic decision. Uh, which is also a, a fascinating um, the concept now for a, a, for a modern audience. That the, 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 uh, a lot of creativity is. Uh, uh, originates in compromise. Um, oh yeah, 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 absolutely. And but if you look at a, you look at a musical, I mean, a Broadway musical, the, the you know the, the the weeks and weeks, months of previews, where whole scenes are thrown out and rewritten and and, and restaged and all, and casts come and go. And you know, by the time it actually reaches stage, it's been through this uh, the stage on the opening night. It, it's been through a massive process of of testing it out on an audience, doing previews, seeing what works. You know, did you get bored in that bit? Okay, we better make that a bit shorter. Did you, which is the bit you like most? Okay, make that longer. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, it, 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 he was a totally pragmatic man of the theatre. He, he wasn't writing like Bach, who, you know, was writing for God and for the church and, and whatever. I mean, he, he wasn't trying to please a public. He, he, didn't, he didn't worry about that, you know, and, and laudably so. I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking Bach at all. But you know, in, as you say, in the word, world of commercial public theatre, in a place like London in the 18th century, you know, you were only as good as your last show. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to ask now um, what uh, the this is a, a loaded question because I know my answer to, to it. Um, uh, what is the advantage of performing these works in concert? Um, well, the advantage is that we don't have to get into a studio with, with this entire group for six weeks um, to rehearse it. Um, we don't need to be costumed. We don't need, you know, I mean, well, I mean, money is probably the, the first the first word that springs to mind. Um, I mean, my group is not remotely equipped to, to be producers of opera. We don't do that. Um, but what we've discovered with the with the Handel series, which I know you know from 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 our very first outings in Carnegie Hall, where I think it was correct me if I'm wrong, just you know it was a it was an experiment. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was ever it was never sort of like yeah we're going to do this and it's going to be a you know we're going to keep it was like well let's just try it and just see what happens. And what happened was that 
we discovered this great audience um, for, for this and thirst for this music. And also that if you cast it really well, and that's what is to me crucial on the, on the, on the singing side, is that Handel was writing for the great singers of the day. So where are the great singers of the day? Who are the great singers of the day? Not necessarily Handelians as such. I mean, you know, we, we, it's, we know from writings that Handel wasn't a purist in his own way. I mean, you know, he liked people who had personality. He liked people who used text really well. He liked people who were good actors. He liked people who could move an audience. Well, if you're using those as the criteria, then you're not necessarily just looking in the so-called early music box. You know, there are plenty of great, great singers that we, we, that we use who don't go around the world singing Baroque opera as such, but are fantastic in these roles. Um, and then, I, you know, I would say that the English concert is about as good as you'll ever hear a handle opera being played, is being played by this group who are, are just so amazing. And because we've done them so much now, we've really developed a kind of language and understanding. And the way they colour, I mean, every nuance of what a singer does is, is I mean, I'm, I'm amazed and I'm, you know, and I expect them to do it, but I'm still kind of amazed just at the, the degree of virtuosity in that sense they bring to it. And I think, you know, I get a lot of people saying, gosh, it's so nice just to hear the music because, you know, we go to these productions and these directors, they just sort of muck about with the, with the story and, you know, we just shut our eyes and listen to the music and this way we can just enjoy the music. Perhaps there's an element of that. But I think it's, just, it, it's a testament to just the genius of Handel that actually the, the, the music is so direct and so clear in its intent even clear in its ambiguity sometimes, which I think is also interesting with Handel, that you get it. You know, you don't necessarily need literary to see all the stuff going on. Don't get me wrong, there's some brilliant productions of Handel, which are totally, you know, such fun and, 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 and really add something to, to the piece. But, but you're dealing with music at such a high level, a music of such a high level, that I think just on purely musical terms, it's, it's, it's an absolute treat to be able to go and hear these pieces. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more that the, 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 the ability to, um, to use one's imagination, to, um, to be able to uh, appreciate um, the, uh, the texture and the colors that come from the, from the orchestra, which are truly extraordinary from the, the English concert. Um, and to hear, uh, to, to be able to just focus on the music, um, which is uh, is of the highest level. I mean, I, I think in a previous conversation, um, you had mentioned that you know today's audiences know Handel best for um, for water music and music for the Royal Fireworks. But if you'd asked an audience member in in, in Handel's time what he does, he, he was an opera composer. And and just remember, I mean, the man, yeah, he's the man that Mozart spent half his time arranging his music just as an exercise. He thought it was so brilliant, and and whom Beethoven said he's the best of us all. I mean, he was, you know, that's not bad as a testimonial. And yet somehow he, you know, he 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 he's never quite been thought of. You know, you all think of you know Bach, Beethoven, Mozart. 
Yeah. Uh, the handle sort of doesn't plug in there. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What did those, those guys, who did, they, who did they think was the best was handle? Um, it is funny. Uh, the, 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 um, the popularity, and I use that term very loosely, of, of, of works and of composers is cyclical. Um, and... Oh, this piece, this piece was done in the 18th century, huge success. It, the, it, and then it wasn't done again, I think, until the 1920s when it was done in, in Germany, I think. And then, um, because, and then, then, of course, there was a famous Covent Garden production with Joan Sutherland in the early 60s. And I think from then on, from the 1960s, people started saying, oh, yeah, this, this is a good piece. And no one said, yeah, and there are 39 other ones as well, which are not bad. <laughs> you need to take a look at those. Uh, the last question I wanted to ask you is uh, about um, the way that Handel writes his arias, which what the, the main format of, of his arias, which is what we call the, the capo aria, um, where you have uh, the first first section, second section, and then a reprise of, of the first section. So you go back to the same text as that first section. Um, and some, some people have expressed a frustration with that, but I think there, there's an enormous opportunity in it, which some, some of the greatest artists actually find, uh, uh, exploit really well. And I wanted to see if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah, well, of course, it's a, it's a very, I mean, ABA, you know, as you, just as you've described it, is a, is a classic dance form. Um, it's a classic pop song form. Yeah. It's a, it's a, so it's a very natural um, idea. The thing about handle operas, or all I would say is, is that you have to remember that what you're doing, the, the recitative, so like this, the sort of the text, the texty bits in between areas, is where the, the action moves forward. So that's where we 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 understand the story, and the areas are deep, deep reflections on what has just been said, or, or, or the emotional situation into which that character, or one of the characters has suddenly been placed. But it's in real time. Yeah. So you just have to not think about the sort of, the, the telescoped uh, time frame of, of Puccini. And I love Puccini, so again, I'm not dissing Puccini, but you know, Mimi knocks on Rodolfo's door in the garret as a complete stranger. Five minutes later, they're singing a love duet. <laughs> yeah, sure. And we go, yeah, that's fine. It's opera. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And I'm, I sit there going, wait a minute, that's completely ridiculous. But it's beautiful, so who cares? But there's sort of somehow, there's a sort of a barrier there for me. In Handel, you're actually going to listen to someone thinking about something for about the length of time, or even shorter, in my opinion, sometimes, of, 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 of what they're thinking about. So, for instance, um, I love you. So, you, 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 know, you, love, you love somebody, and, and, and so for five minutes, you say, I love, I love this person. And then in the, in the, that's the A section. And in the B section, um, you say, but that person just betrayed me. And you say that for three minutes. And then for five minutes, you say, I love this person. And the second time, it's exactly the same words, but it's in the context of their betrayal. To me, that is very, very human. I've spent days saying things like that, weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And so, you know, I, I, fi- I find that, and as you say, if you get singers who really can keep your attention and, and understand that, that's, and sometimes you just do say the same words over and over and over and over again in an effort to find a way, a journey through what you're feeling. And if as an audience member, you are up for going through that journey with that singer, with that music, then you will love this. Well, um, uh, I know I'm hugely looking forward to this because uh, uh, because I I love uh, this piece and I, I've had the great pleasure of hearing you in the English concert perform it uh, w- once before. And I also, I remember the effect that it had on the audience, the, um, the huge ovation at the end, uh, uh, the conclusion of the first act, the, um, borderline um, uh, uh, hysterical um, uh, ovation that accompanied the, the thir- uh, second and the end of the piece worrying that um, that the, the top tier of seating was going to come down because uh, people were stamping their feet and and were, were so caught up in this and there there is this cumulative effect um, of, of hearing these works that can't be understated. Yeah, and I think also it's really interesting. I mean, two things. One is it's, you know, these, these pieces are not, not short pieces. So there's also a feeling of, a, of, of having come through this, this long, but not overly long, but, but just a, an experience which is not hurried. It's not, it, no one's trying to, you know, no one's worrying about whether you're going to be bored. You know, it, it's like, it's like keeping you, it, 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 it holds you all the way through. And I think that's really, that's really important. And also I have to say, entering into this post, post-COVID or whatever, whatever expression we use these days, uh, time, I mean, experiencing it with other people in a, in a place with people you don't know and you're all there at the same time, being moved in different ways. The great thing about music and art is it means something completely different to everyone next to you, you know? But you're doing it and you were there and that experience will never ever be replicated again. And to me, that is, that is why live music making, live theater, live anything is to me, so, I mean, you can't substitute it with the DVD. You can't substitute yeah. it even with a live stream. It's, I mean, those are all great things, but to actually be there and hear it live for real with all the danger, the things that can go wrong, the things that go miraculously right, that, that is something that you will, you will remember forever. Um, I, I thank you in advance for giving us something to remember forever and, and uh, for making the time to have this conversation. It's a pleasure. Lovely to see you. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Remember to share with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Thank you.